I, uh, I think I'm going to start with a story that uh, I was driving home the other day. I was pretty stressed out. Um, uh, as many of you probably all are too, you work jobs and they can be very stressful jobs. Well, I was uh, working, I had a pretty stressful day and I was driving home and I have a lot of turns that I make to get into my neighborhood and I was following this car and the person was kind of making the turns I was making, which didn't bother me that much, except that they were going very slow. And, and every time I made a turn, they made a turn in front of me, you know, and I started getting pretty irritated. Actually, they were going the speed limit. <laughs> That's just a lot about myself, maybe. But it kind of started bothering me. I was, you know, wanting to get home. And they kept turning in the way I turned. And man, it was like, I don't know if God had put that person there or whatever. Who knows? But they were there, and I started getting really upset. And I wasn't thinking very godly thoughts, to be honest with you. And uh, I, you know, it bothered me because I, I thought of that after I got into a little bit, and my emotions caught up with me and stuff. And I thought, this isn't a very godlike thing to do. And, uh, and then I also have a car that uh, my other car has a fish on the back of it, and I was kind of thankful I wasn't driving that car <laughs> because so people couldn't see me and say, oh my gosh, is, who's that guy? But uh, it, it just pointed out the fact that I was having a bad day and, and uh, I was not walking with God that day. It's kind of interesting also that last night when I left here, uh, there was a motorcycle pulling out and I followed the motorcycle and he was going really, really slow. And my wife said to me, now you get to practice what you preach. Isn't that great? <laughs> so I saw it as an opportunity for God to really move in my heart and... and make some changes maybe. But it's an, it's an ongoing thing, isn't it? I mean, this isn't, you know, it's an ongoing thing of life. I want to talk now, though, a little bit about a little more serious topic uh, in my life uh, as far as this uh, goes, this incongruity, you could say, or this not matching up with God and where God's at. And this has to do with uh, something that's followed me since I was probably 11 years old when I, uh, when I went into puberty. And it's got to do with sexual sin. And for me, that's when sexual sin crept into my life. I was exposed to pornography, and uh, it met a need in my life, a hole in my life that was there. And I started uh, acting out, and it became a part of my life for a very long time. And it affected my marriage. Uh, it affected relationships I had. And there's a lot of shame that I've had to battle because of that sin that I carried with me. And my wife's been very supportive with me in the process, and she's been very encouraging, and yet I've had to deal with this. I, when I was in seminary, I, uh, I had this sin in my life even then, and I, what I had done was I had compartmentalized this sin, and I had set it off to the side. And I, uh, so I was engaged in it, and yet I was a man of God, following God, and doing godly things, and being of God. And yet, I had this part of me that was a secret that I carried with me, but I didn't let God into that part of my life. I said, you know, that's off limits. Well, when I got to seminary, God did a work in me, and he convicted me. And he said to me, I don't want, I don't want that part of you. I don't want that secret sin in your life. I don't want those parts that are not of me. I want all of you. I want all of you, everything. 
And so I was confronted with the fact that I had this secret because at times I didn't even know it was there. And when I acted out, I just got into a zone and I just tuned God out and I was in that zone. And I had no control over it. In fact, it erupted, well, it, it progressed into a full-blown addiction, basically. An addiction is something that you can't control. You have no power over anymore. And I had no power over it. And so I was in seminary, and I was struggling with this conflict inside of me, this struggle, this deep burden. And I was drawn to a group there. At the time, they were doing small groups. And I got involved with a group of, of I think it was three other men. I think there were four of us that started it. And uh, we started talking about our sexual sin. And each of us confessed to the other where we were at. And I believe that God brought us there to that place at that time to work in all of us there, each that small group, that we needed to give that up. We needed to give that to God, to be the men of God that he called us to be. And so it was in that group that I discovered who I, who I was in secret. And I started confronting that secrecy. And I started confronting that lie that I was living that was such a stronghold in my life. And it's been a very difficult journey. It's been a, and it's not over. I'm in process with that. I'll talk about that a little bit later, about the process of recovery and healing. But it's a very important thing to remember is that God wants every part of you. He wants, he wants it all. And there's things that get in the way that keep us from giving our total self to God. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we recognize that we are broken and in need of healing, Lord. We recognize that we have not given all of ourself to you, Lord Jesus, that there are parts of us that are are not of you, Lord God. And I pray, Father, that you would bring your healing to us, Lord Jesus, that you would uh, heal those dark places, shine the light of your truth, Lord Jesus, into those places that need your truth, Jesus. And I pray for your Holy Spirit, Lord, to move inside of us, Father, because apart from you, Lord God, we can really do nothing, nothing at all. Amen. One of my favorite scriptures related to this topic is Galatians 5, 16 through 18, where Paul is talking to the Galatian church. And the Galatian church is a church that's dealing with legalism, and Paul is talking against that legalism. And then uh, there's also some messages about license in there, which is freedom and that. And this is what he says in 16 through 18. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the spirit, and what the spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not subject to the law. This text speaks about the battle that rages inside of us between the flesh and the spirit. When you accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, those of you who have, you became one spirit with him. It says in 2 Corinthians 6.17 that you are one spirit with God. That is an awesome, awesome thing. But you know from your experience that that doesn't mean that automatically you became this person that lived a godly life, a perfect life. No, that's not true. We are fallen creatures. We are broken. 
and the flesh is still there. So there's this battle that goes on within us that opposes each other. So for me, the flesh, my fleshly desires of sexual sin were battling against the spirit. And the spirit, it was a back and forth thing and I needed to deal with that. Henry Nouwen, who wrote The Inner Voice of Love, has a great quote about this. Inner Voice of Love is a great book of meditations based on his story or his life. Uh, he was in d dark depression uh, for a long time and went into some, got some help for that. And he wrote this book as they were personal meditations. He never intended it to be printed, but he wrote them as meditations. And this is what he says. The great challenge here is faithfulness, which must be lived in the choices of every moment. When you're eating, drinking, working, playing, speaking, or writing is no longer for the glory of God, you should stop it immediately. Because when you no longer live for the glory of God, you begin living for your own glory. Then you separate yourself from God and you do yourself harm. See, when we don't live according to God's principles, we separate ourselves from him. So I had this separate life that I was living. I compartmentalized. And that's a very easy thing to do because of our flesh and because of who we are as human beings. It's part of our, our fallen nature that we struggle with. But the Holy Spirit came to give us life, and he came to make us whole and healed and present in his sight. And so there's, I believe the goal of the Christian life is wanting to be where God is, living a life where God is with me, and living a life that matches up with God. Uh, congruent is a word that comes to mind for me. Congruent. And it means harmony or agreement. Harmony or agreement. When you're congruent, with something, you're in harmony with it or agreement with it. It's an algebraic term to show that things line up and match up with each other. That's congruency. Incongruency is when they don't match up. So the example of my being in the car when I was following that person, that was an incongruency in me. It really wasn't the Spirit of God working in me and allowing me to be the child of God I am. And the same thing with my sexual sin. It wasn't, I wasn't congruent. I was incongruent. There was an incongruency going on inside of me that I needed to deal with. Now, there, I'd like to touch on four areas of incongruency that we deal with in our lives. Uh, the first one is habit. Habits and incongruency. It was, in my case anyways, it was, my case was full-blown into addiction. It doesn't have to be that far as an addiction. A habit is anything that you do repetitively over and over again. Now, if that habit separates you from God, for example, the habit of TV watching, okay? It could be the habit of uh, uh, eating. It could be the habit of uh, uh, surfing uh, channels or whatever. There's a lot of habits that we can develop. Maybe it's the habit of being angry when you get in your car to drive somewhere and all of a sudden your anger level starts rising as you pull out of the driveway and then when cars are in front of you and they're not going where you want to go or whatever, the anger level gets higher and higher and higher and all of a sudden you realize that every time you get in your car, you're just an angry person. That can be a habit. That can develop into a habit. And a habit, an ungodly habit, 
can be an incongruency in our lives that we need to deal with. And the way we can deal with habits, there's different things we can do about habits. One of them is we can confess the habit. We confess before God what we're doing. We renounce the habit. In other words, we decide to turn away from it and say, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. We submit to God. We go to God and we say, Lord, I'm going to do what you desire me to do. And then also a big part of habits can be redemptive community. You need accountability to deal with some of this stuff. I couldn't do it on my own. I tried for a long time. I think it was 40-some years I tried on my own. It was painful. It was, it was not, it was just horrible when I think about it. But I was stuck. I was stuck in a bad place. Redemptive community, though, is a community that loves when we fall down. It picks us up when we fail. We will fail. We are human. You will fail. I guarantee it. But when you're in redemptive community, there's care groups at this church. Pure Desire has groups. There's other groups that meet on Thursday that can meet you right where you're at. There's covenant groups at this church that offer redemptive community where people can speak into your life the truth of God. I need people around me to do that because I get deceived by the devil and I don't see clearly what's going on. If I can have a secret sin for 40-some years, I mean, that's a devastating thing. And there's things in our life that we need to take to our groups, to people we're in community with, that we can receive the love of God through them. That's how God ministers his word and his life, through other people, through groups, through, through conversation, through hands-on ministry. I've been in small groups where they lay hands on you and we just take time for soaking prayer if you're dealing with something difficult. It takes risk, yes. It does take risk. And also, it's, there's going to be pain. I'm not going to kid about that. There's pain in that. And that's, of course, one of the reasons why we don't want to go there is because of the pain that's involved. We don't want to deal with it. And that brings up the next point, which is another incongruency, is emptiness. Is emptiness inside of us. Greg's talked about this often, that there's a cavity inside of you that needs to be filled. There's an emptiness inside of us that needs to be filled. And this can be caused by unmet needs in our life. Needs like the need to be loved unconditionally, regardless of you know, your failures. When I failed, I could go to my community and they could say, we hear you, Jim, and we love you, and we want you to be whole. And I didn't have to worry about condemnation. I mean, there was accountability, but there was love, unconditional love. There's a need to be accepted for who I am and not what I do. I think there's a stronghold in, in a lot of us that we get our worth by what we do and not by who we are. It's easy to talk about our Christian walk and say that who I am in Christ is important. And I, I live there, I try to live there, but oftentimes I get life out of what I do. And that's an unmet need in me. It's a hole that needs to be filled by God because God is the one that meets our unmet needs. The need to be desired, to be wanted, to be loved. My wife couldn't. That was a part of me that was missing because I loved this other part. And it was very difficult to confess to her 
It was very difficult to go through the pain with her that she suffered as a result because she was hurt deeply because of it. Because she knew, just think, you, you're married to someone and there's this big part of them that you're not a part of. And when it's your sexuality, which is a very intimate thing between a man and a woman, a wife and a husband, it's a very dear thing. And it was very difficult for us to you know, confront that and deal with that. But God is the only one who can fill those holes. And I'm still on that journey. I'm still working through that. I'm meeting with people that can help me do that, to look at what are those unmet needs in my life that need to be filled by God only. And I try to invite him into that. Another, uh, or areas that deal with this or address this are spiritual practices. We can have spiritual practices in our life where we do repetitively study, reading the Bible, prayer, uh, solitude, fasting, those disciplines to do over and over that kind of take in the presence of God inside of us. And we need to do that. Another uh, point is healing prayer. I've been involved in many healing prayer appointments, uh, group meetings, that kind of thing. We're going to have an opportunity a little bit later for the prayer stations to be along the sides, and they're going to have an opportunity to pray with anybody who needs healing prayer. I believe that God works through prayer, through specific prayer, when it's directed directly towards whatever that issue is, God can move in a very powerful way. And I'm praying that that happens today. And then also counseling. Counseling is, uh, is an avenue that you can take. I've been in counseling uh, a bunch of times, actually. <laughs> and uh, it's been very helpful to me to get another perspective on things. Pastoral counseling, uh, professional counseling. There's a lot of different... Maybe it's somebody that you trust in your life that uh, has spiritual authority or whatever, a friend, a mentor, somebody in the group you're in, maybe. That's counsel. That's counsel from God that can... Maybe somebody who's been there that can walk with you through that. So counseling is very important also. Another point is rebellion. An incongruency can be rebellion. Some of us are very rebellious. I grew up very rebellious. I grew up in a family. My parents were both full German, and I'm full German. And those of you who out there who are full German, some of us are very rigid and very strict and very on task and that kind of thing. And so I had a lot of rebellion against that, against my folks. I remember one day in college, I, was, I had to go to church every Sunday, and I didn't like that, especially when I became a teenager. And then I got to go to college, and I went away to college, and I was free. I, didn't, I could do what I wanted. I didn't have to go to church or whatever. And I remember coming home with a book one time, and uh, the title was Why I Am Not a Christian by Bertrand Russell. And I remember, uh, because we didn't confront in my family or talk about things directly necessarily, I didn't, like, I didn't like go to them with it or anything. I let it sit around on my table. <laughs> kind of passive aggression, you know. <laughs> and I'd been raised in the church. I was confirmed and everything, you know. But I had this anger, this rebellion inside of me that was rebelling against what they wanted me to do, you know, to live a godly life. And it was a very difficult thing to deal with because rebellion can be very uh, deep-rooted. And some of you out there deal with that. Some of you have rebellious, you're just a rebellious person. If somebody tells you to do something, the first thought that comes into your mind is, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Forget it. And then, uh, especially maybe with authority figures and that kind of thing. 
And God is the ultimate authority figure, so rebellion from him, we need to deal with that. So how do we deal with rebellion? Well, uh, we confess, we uh, renounce, and we submit. So we confess before God, what is my rebellion? What am I doing here? We renounce it before God and say, I'm going to turn away from this, Lord God. I desire not to do this anymore. And you submit to God, and you give your life to God. And you may have to do this over and over again and again. I've done it repetitively with my issues, especially some of them that just won't go away. For I pray the Lord takes them away, but oftentimes they don't go. Maybe that's part of the Christian journey. Uh, the fourth thing that, that I'm going to speak about is inadequ or inadequacy or uh, incongruency is forgetfulness. And this corresponds more to the driving thing that I experienced. In other words, you're in your car or you're doing something and you forget you forget about that union relationship that you had. You know, I talked about uh, when you become one spirit with God, you become one spirit. Your spirit is merged with his. Well, I don't always remember that. I forget that. And so when I forget, I just have to remember it again, and I have to get back, you know, uh, on track. And I have to, and I have to uh, remember what I'm doing. And things that can, play, can help you with that are, again, the spiritual practices, like fasting, prayer, study, those things. Uh, there's a great book out there called uh, Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. And it's a book about a monk who really had a close relationship with God because of this thing that I'm talking about with sp spiritual practices. He just recognized who, he, who God was and who he was. And he did that over and over again and again. And when he was peeling potatoes, whatever he did, he just recognized that God was with him. One thing that I do that's been really helpful is I say the Jesus prayer. This is a prayer that's got a long tradition in church history. And it's a prayer that I pray over and over again and again. And it's, it goes like this. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And I just pray that repetitively over and over again. And it helps cement in me my memorization of who I am and who he is. It's that union that we have with Christ, our union with God. I don't want you to get the idea from what I'm talking about that this is an external thing. It's not based on externals. In other words, the stuff that you do, we just need to try harder. We need to do things to make this happen because you can easily fall into that with practices, with anything. And what it becomes about then, it becomes about the means rather than the end. The thing to keep in mind is always the end, which is Jesus Christ. He's the end. The means just get you to that end. Some things work for some people. Some things work for other people. For me, uh, there was a period where I thought I had to get up at 5.30 in the morning, and that was the prayer time because I started work at 6.30. Well, I got up at 5 o'clock, and I was sleeping in my chair by 5.10, and, <laughs> and, or even earlier, 5.02. And, and I just recognized that didn't work for me. So I had to find something that worked. The point is, is we need to bathe ourselves in the presence of God and put ourselves in a place where we remember who he is. And also to recognize that in the text, uh, it's about the spirit of God. It's about the spirit doing it through you and in you. So part of it is about letting go. It's about allowing God to do that in you. But there's always that balance, isn't there, between what is my part and what is God's part. And that takes a lot of prayerful consideration, a lot of input maybe from other people and that kind of thing. 
because you can easily fall into legalism like the Galatian church did, and then it was all about doing the right thing to be right with God. And that's not what it's about. It's about getting in touch with God and in communion with him. The Pharisees were good about doing externals, but it's the heart that matters. It's the revelation of the heart. It says in Galatians 5, 20 through 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. If we are living now by the Holy Spirit, let us follow the Holy Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Those desires and passions get nailed to the cross. As we transition into communion today, it's an excellent symbol and opportunity to allow God to take those desires that we have that we know are not of God and nail them to the cross. Because what we're doing in communion is we are remembering what he did for us. His burial, his death, his resurrection is remembered in it, in communion. Communion is an awesome opportunity for us to invite God into our lives, into our experiences, and partake with him in that. It's a really excellent opportunity. It says in Galatians 2.20, For I have been crucified, and I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. He lives within us. He dwells within us. And we need to hold on to that reality. And communion, I believe, is a way that we can do that. It's a way that he ministers to us in a unique way. I've been involved in communion services where... Uh, where the Spirit of God moved and there was physical healing, there was, there was just in taking of the, the communion. It was an awesome thing. I went to Lutheran church and they did communion every week, the church I was at. And when I, was, when I had my renewal of faith, it was an awesome, awesome thing to take communion, to just remember and realize in the symbolism that is there, the power that is there. The, the extreme power. I have a Lutheran background. I grew up in the Lutheran church and I still, and I appreciate our church for being diverse about that, you know. And we as a church hold to the ordinance of communion and yet I just, in my heart, believe more Lutheran, which would be that the spirit of Jesus somehow resides in the elements and ministers to us. Not that it's magic, not that it just happens, but that there's something that goes on there that is supernatural. And it's really, an, and to take it together in a body like this is really a blessing for me because you know that one spirit I was talking about? That spirit, for all of us Bible-believing Christians who have professed Jesus as Lord, that spirit is in each of us. And corporately, there's a oneness that we share because of his spirit. That is an awesome thing. And taking communion honors that. And, uh, and it really is an opportunity for healing, congruency, transformation. It's really an invitation for God to work. I'd like to invite the worship team up now and the ushers to come forward to do the communion. We're going to have open communion today, which means that anybody professing Jesus as their Lord and Savior is invited to take of the communion, partake. And we're going to hand it out all together. They're going to hand it out by rows, and we're going to take it. And then you can hold it until I will lead you in the t eating of that, of the bread, and taking to the cup. They're going to play a song during the, the bread and then during the cup uh, when you can reflect on the message and on uh, the, the worship songs and, and that kind of thing. And I just want you to be aware, too, that... Uh, uh, 
you know, the bread is a symbol of his broken body, of his body broken for you, his body broken for each one of us, that we might come into communion with him, that we might be congruent with him, that we might have life where there was death, that we might have lightness, light where there was darkness. And this is a time of that. Thank you.